Designing the Next Gen Parliament Precinct Network with John Capobianco. Episode 75. Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there. We have another episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where zigabytes are faster than gigabytes. As always, we strive to provide real-world context around technology. I'm Zig. I'm your host, as always. Thank you all for coming back today. Um, we have an interesting show. Uh, we're going to do a kind of design-focused use case um, of a transition for a Parliament Precinct Network. So John Capiabianco is here to help me today to really highlight the transition that he went through for this um, Canadian Parliament uh, Network um, over the you know the last few years. Um, and I'm kind of rambling here. So John, how are you doing today? Let's just kind of kick it off, buddy. Oh, Zig, I'm doing really great. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I, I've been following your podcast. You're doing really great stuff for the community. And uh, I thought after your last ones with Stuart there that I saw, maybe I'll just offer to, to see if he wants to talk about what I've been up to. And uh, and you nailed it. So I joined um, the Canadian Parliament, not as a politician. I wasn't elected <laughs> in. Uh, but uh, as part of uh, NGPPN, or the Next Generation Parliamentary Precinct Network Program, which was a multi-year, uh, very big budget, very ambitious, very visionary, uh, transformative approach to take an aging legacy Nortel network. Now, this is in 2013, if you can imagine that. Wow. I don't know how when Nortel went bankrupt and switched to Avaya and all that, but they were still running, you know, Nortel cores and Nortel based stacks and uh, big flat layer two network. Um, now, so our challenge was a couple of things, right? Um, the, the parliament wanted to digitize, and we've heard that from Cisco and Chuck talk about the digitization of, yeah. of functions and products. And, 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 you know, we're not there to make money. We're not, a, uh, uh, you know, in the financial sector or in the business yeah. end of things. You're not what but I would call a traditional they, business, right? You're, you're really there to provide a service, if you will. Yeah, we're there to provide a service. And that's, you know, the, the ongoing democracy of our, of our country, right? If, if we want to think really ambitious about it. Um, so they wanted things like, and this is 2013, wireless surfaces, tablets, voice over IP, security enhancements, Ooh. performance enhancements, logical separation. There was a lot on the laundry list and and it was semi greenfield. We had a greenfield in that we could build net new, but we we at some point we had to integrate and onboard the existing network to to start shifting traffic, right? And it goes from you know, one building on the new Cisco network and everything else on the Nortel. And we gradually shift the balance to every building. And this is 50 buildings in our, in our, wow. you know, our man, our metropolis area network, which is about, you know, 50 very interesting heritage buildings. Um, the, the center block, the West block, the Sir Johnny McDonald building, all these heritage limestone and the stained glass and just, just immaculate buildings. Um, with with rich heritage, well now we have to digitize them and overlay fiber and copper and wireless access points and right. Um, yeah. So that's... that's very interesting, even just from a layer one perspective, having an east path and a west path and diverse fibers. I'm I'm actually fortunate. I I my mind was blown when they introduced me to the cabling plant. There's cabling architects. I'm not in the cabling end of things. I basically say you know I need GI one 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 on this switch fibered over to GI111 yes. on that switch and the architects and the fiber people take care of it. But we blow our own fiber here at Parliament under the wow. streets of Ottawa. Yeah. So, so I got to see them do that, which was pretty neat. So so real quick, right? We kind of jumped right in, right? And this is great. Yeah. Um can can you go a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in the industry? Oh yeah. Um and, and you know where they can find you kind of on the inter interwebs. I like to call it the interwebs. So you know where yeah, people can interwebs. reach out to you and, and find you on the interwebs. No it's, I made some assumptions that maybe people know who I am. Sorry, I'm not quite uh, an internet celebrity <laughs> yet, but that's a good point. I should back up and, and start again. So I've, I graduated from a three-year computer programmer analyst program in Kingston, Ontario wow. in 2003. So, so you're a computer uh, programmer by trade then? I'm a programmer by trade. And, and it's funny the way, my, the, way the dice roll, um, my placement or my co-op in my last two years of the program, I actually ended up with, with the Ministry of Health's um, service desk um, as more of a systems officer doing client server and network than programming. Oh. So when I graduated, I had this diploma in programming with no real world experience or no 
nothing on my Dude. resume that I've written code. I had the and same. I, have this, I had the same situation, man. Like I have a degree in yeah. computer science, and I have never been in a computer science role. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Sorry. Yeah, go was, ahead. No, it's funny the way it worked out. So I I did very well in the client server world, and and I started to pursue certificates to shore up my lack of, you know, my my programmer diploma and Windows client server network stuff didn't really mesh. So I so I started down the path of A plus N plus XP cert. Windows certs, Cisco certs. So that's been the kind of the 20 year journey for me. Yeah. I spent uh, seven years with a, a top 10 Canadian insurance company doing their, started in their server farm actually, and then moved full time to the networks in about 2008. Okay. So 2008 is when I get my CCNA and, I, and I've maintained my CCNA this whole time. Um, my cert journey is actually up on my webpage. So for my interwebs presence, you can go to automate your network, all one word dot ca, the Canadian domain, um, and it's a bit of a blog post. There's an about me page. Anyone who's curious about someone like me, who's uh, now now 20 years later a senior IT kind of person, um, I've done an about page with my cert history. A lot of people ask me on Twitter, and Twitter it's John underscore Capobianco. Um, how do I get started? How do I get there? What do I do? What certs do I need? So I laid that that path out for people to take a look at. Um, my most recent cert was the CCNP data center. Nice. Um, C- um, CCNP, CCDP. So very folk, uh, design heavy focus on my career. Um, uh, I just got the DP for data center just before March when they redid the certifications. Yeah. What a what a race against the <laughs> clock that was to get that last cert in before they. Um, changed everything yeah so, you got to take so, it and it's the last time you can take it right and it's going to go yeah right, so that was a lot of pressure so um so that kind of that kind of sets the stage for where i'm at uh again i joined in 2013 because the house um picked cisco cisco won the rfp to to provide the technology for this next generation network and um at empire life i had been uh, a cisco i designed and, and deployed the cisco network there so so it was a good fit for me to progress and and um and try to take on a bigger challenge in my career which would be the parliament network no this is great like seriously set the stage this is great it's great to have you on the show um and everyone all those links that john's already said we'll have them in the show notes so you can easily you know connect him and reach out with any direct questions you might have um and, and just to let everyone know we're actually gonna do two shows with john um so this is show number one and it's design use case focused and then our follow-on show it won't be right after this one it'll be a couple weeks later we're gonna do one on automation and how um, John has actually fully automated the Parliament uh, network, and if I said anything wrong, John, please correct that, please. No, that's that's pretty good. Uh, it's pretty ambitious, uh, but but yeah, and it, it sounds unbelievable. But in that seven years, um, we transitioned from a manual, classic CLI mode of build and deploy and maintain. Uh, around 2017, we kind of switched to a fully automated approach, which which we can talk about, you know, down the road. But yeah. to get there. But to get there, we had to put together um, all the pieces of of the of the network. So you know, when I when I joined, I had to acclimatize myself, you know, to the business. So when when we say the Parliament of Canada, it's actually made up of subgroups. So there's the House of Commons, which is technically who I work for, and that's the members of Parliament, the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, um, the the House side of things. Then there's the Senate of Canada. And they're also a tenant on the network. There's the Library of Parliament with all of the research and development and the historical archives is another tenant. The security apparatus, so the Parliament uh, security team, the RCMP and the different security officers uh, are another tenant. <laughs> the multimedia tenants, so all of the tenants that do the telev- televised broadcasting and webcasting and, um, well, I say webcasting now, but when I joined, it was just television. And that's part of when I say the digitization, one of the ambitious goals was, can we put our proceedings up on the internet? Like the C-SPAN, right? Yeah, can yeah, we get yeah. C-SPAN up on the web for the Canadian proceedings? They couldn't do that on the old Flat Nortel network. Wow. And that was one of the lists. So, so the business has, you know, when we're looking at this at the 10,000-foot view, we want wireless, right? They want wireless. It was one of their urgent things that they needed. They want voice over IP. They want enhanced security. And security was the big one in design. And obviously, they want it to perform and be fast and be available and reliable and, and you know, five nines and all the rest of that stuff. 
So we kind of had to figure out what's in and what's out. We had a date that we wanted to bring the first building online. And, you know, what's in? Well, wireless is in, 8021X is in, QoS is in, the layer two, layer three boundary change is in, the the new speeds and new optics are in. Um, Certain things didn't make the cut, right? Because you're against the time and you have to weigh the risk versus reward. So something like, it's in place now, we've evolved, but for that first deployment, uh, DHCP snooping, ARP inspection, that trilogy of uh, security, <laughs> yeah. we, we, it didn't make the cut, right? There were certain things that didn't make it in. but um, There's always a cutting uh, phase, right? You, 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 yeah. have, you have a deadline, right? And you have to make that deadline. You, the building's going to be operational at some point, um, and you have to be ready for that operational date. So, Yeah, so from the design point of view, there were a couple things. It's funny, when I went through my CCNP, CCDP, you kind of, like it's not IE. I realize that, but um, when I joined the house, one of the new technologies that they were talking about, our vendors and our partners, there was it wasn't just me in this room designing this network. There was you know a big room full of a lot of stakeholders from across the business, from the internet service provider, from the vendor, from our VAR, lots and lots of minds collaborating to to come up with the recipe of success for a large scale modern network. Right? There's a lot of things to consider. So. Um, my input or what I wanted to help um, change was one, the, the flatness of the network, right? This big layer two slash 16 network. Let's break that Ooh. down into so, a layer two, layer three boundary. Yeah. So it was ahead. one slash 16 network across the entire art organization or what, network more, structure? More or less. More, wow. more or less. Or a few different slash 16s. Um, again, on Nortel base stacks without spanning trees. Oh that's, wow! That's the that's the that's the footprint that I arrived in. No wireless, no voice over IP. Um, yeah, not so great. It's, it's not all one great. broadcast storm. There's no yeah. fault isolation. There's no layer three fault boundaries. No kind of uh, modularity. Uh, and when there's an ad, there's a, a broadcast. There, it's going everywhere, right? That's just basic, yeah. you know, broadcast. Oh yeah, fundamental theory. And, um, so. And, and and no IP address gives you any sort of logical relevance as yeah. to where it is on the network or what it is or right. It's just an IP of sixteen thousand IPs or something, right? Just, <laughs> yeah, whatever that math one is. Of many, right? Yeah. So, um, so again, so the layer two, layer three boundary, we pushed it to the building distribution layer. Okay. So we followed the Cisco. So again, we started with the Cisco validated designs, and um, you know, a uh, uh, two-core data center. So we have two physical data centers on the premise. Um, I'm fortunate that they're they're actually physically connected, so it's just a logical stretch. So it's one logical data center. So we pick VSS technology for the core. So a nice pair of solid 6,500 cores that acted as the, the, the fundamental core of the network, pure layer three if possible. And then we had our layer three boundary at per building. So a pair of 4,500s at the top, of each stack of access switches per building. And um, where what was new to me, uh, I started talking about my certifications. VRFs were new to me. Oh, and I, okay. and I, thought, I thought to myself, how could I get to CCNP, CCDP and never even read about this or know about this VRF technology? It must be an IE thing, or maybe it's new, or maybe in the, in the March 2000, 2020 um, refresh, maybe VRFs are now part of the curriculum. But to me, I was like, holy cow, like I, I had a real shock of imposter syndrome on like the first week at the job because they started talking about segregating into VRFs. And I went home and told my wife, like, I don't even know what a VRF is. What, what am I going to do? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm in above my head, right? So I had to do some real quick learning. And, and it's actually pretty simple, Cisco's implementation of VRFs. So if you're listening and, and are like me and didn't know what a VRF was, at layer two, we have the, the virtual segregation in VLANs right? The broadcast. Yep, exactly. If you move up a layer to layer three, a virtual route forwarder or VRF is, is similar to a VLAN, but it's for the routing table. So a single router, a 4,500, a physical router has a global routing table, the GRT, that you're used to if you do show IP ARP or show IP, show IP route or something. That's from the global routing table. Um, I mentioned our tenants earlier the House, the Senate, the Library, the MMS, the security zones, etc. We wanted to separate those at layer three and use a firewall, a central firewall, to control the flow of zone to zone traffic or tenant to tenant traffic. 
Now, without VRFs, I would need to put an access list at the top of every building distribution switch to separate and deny and permit zone to zone because it's one big shared routing table, mm-hmm. right? Yep. We wanted to avoid that. So a VRF lets you contain the routing table per tenant in a virtual router. So if I do, if I go into the global routing table and I do show IP route, I don't see the routes for my House of Commons tenant. I have to do show IP route VRF, you know, tenant one or whatever to see their routing table, which means they don't know how to get to each other at the building. They have to go into the data center and be permitted at a firewall to communicate with each other. So we have a nice central point of control. This premise helped drive our design, to be honest with you. Okay. Because we needed, we wanted nice summarizable spaces for these tenants that then I could cut into building chunks that I could summarize at the building. So my OSPF, which is the routing protocol we chose, partly out of necessity because I had to integrate with with Nortel and I can't use EIGRP for that. Yeah. And we didn't want to do static routes, right? So we're kind of, by de facto, we go with OSPF, which is fine. I don't mind OSPF. I would have liked the GRP, but that's just personal preference. Um, so anyway, we, we have a nice big, big summary that we can say this represents the whole tenant. And then per building, that summary gets broken into smaller, you know, we subnet it into yep. smaller summaries. And then each floor gets a slash 24 or something. So no, now perfect. I have a nice logical view. Yeah. Yeah. So now I can say, I don't know, 10, 10, some, I, I know right away. That's my building one. Yep, exactly. Okay, 10, 10, 10, 6. Okay, that's the sixth floor on building one for tenant one. Okay, it's 1020.6. Okay, that's tenant two on building one, floor two, or whatever. So it becomes like a Rolodex, these IPs. And, and people think it's magic. They throw an IP at me today and I go, oh, yeah, you're, you want to go to this, you know, the Sir John A. McDonald building on the fourth floor. That's where that access point is. How did you know that? Well, the IP address <laughs> is logically mapped to the topology of the network, right? It's called designing. Like, like, yeah. You know, like there was a plan ahead of time. And now it makes it easy to figure things out. Like that's, and this is perfect, right? You have a set identifier for different buildings, different floors. And it doesn't mean that you're doing any static identification of those IP addresses to a computer. You're literally just saying, hey, this subnet is for that floor. I know that 10.10.4.0/24 is building 144. You just know. Right. And and then it scales horizontally. Okay, the third octet is 4. That's the fourth floor in a building. And then my second octet is the identifier for the building. My fourth octet represents the end host, right? Yep. It's 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 classic cedar design. It's what they taught you in school. And if you apply it correctly, like in the back of my mind, you're always wondering, is this going to scale? Is this going to scale? Right? In in five years, do I need to throw this IP design out and start again? Do I need to go to IP6? Do I need to go to MPLS? Like, do you know what I mean? That question exactly. of scale is always there on the fringe. But seven years later, we've yet to have to re-IP a block or a building or a floor. It's scaled up to 50 buildings on the campus. Um, you had mentioned the scale earlier in our discussion about the wide area network. So I'm, I'm kind of jumping all over, um, but but it really that that was my reality for the first five years was was a chaotic fire hose of demand from this shiny new network. <laughs> well, there's right? a couple of things that I would like to ask, right? So because I kind of let you kind of do that for a little bit and get a good understanding, jump around a bit. So, um, and I lost my train of thought because that's what happens with me. Um, so <laughs> I'll ask another question because I have it, right? So, um, you know, we talked about the tenants. Uh, you talked about learning VRFs. Um, you know, for you and I, we had a, a pre kind of talk before we started recording. And one of those was like, you know, when we started in, in, in IT, there really wasn't YouTube. Like we had to learn these things on our own, right? Like we had to figure it out. And so for VRFs, did you have to figure it out yourself? I more or less had to figure it out myself. There was what I, what I leaned on was, um, was the Cisco Live uh, ah, yeah. the Cisco Live breakout sessions and the Cisco Live, um, I, I'm losing my train at my words here, the, their yes. on-demand catalog. Yeah. The Cisco Live That's on-demand I mean. catalog, yep. But I went to the Cisco Live on-demand catalog and I found a few breakout sessions that talked about EVN, Easy Virtual Networking, which is a technology you use with the VRFs to automatically set up things like sub-interfaces on trunk ports that trunk the VRFs like you trunk VLANs. Yep. So I did a lot of learning through the Cisco 
on-demand portals. One of the uh, ISP engineers that was loaned to us who, who kind of tabled the VRF idea, he coached me a little bit. But there was a lot of – and also Cisco.com, there was a very good um, PDF just about VRF technology and how to implement it. So I had to do a lot of learning and self-discovery and very quickly um, because that was our design. That was our approach. And that's how we were going to, to uh, in combination with other technologies, secure the network and provide isolation for the tenants. Yeah, no, that's good. So, I mean, and just so people understand, maybe they don't, and if they do, then great. But, um, you know, like like John said, to get from one VRF to another VRF, you have to have some sort of technology or device that's meant to do that. So if you have the VRFs on one, one specific device, in most cases, you cannot leak routes between those those VRFs. Now, some, some devices you can leak between the VRFs. You have to do like static leaking or, or you have to run BGP to leak between the, the, the VRFs with like route targets and route distinguishers. So it's not like you're running MPLS, but you're kind of running MPLS, but not really, um, if that makes any sense. Or you have some sort of fusion device, uh, like a fusion router, in which case I think your firewall is acting as a kind of fusion router. Is that correct? So it, it's a good point. So we have a fusion router in the very center. We call it the transit router. And that's kind of like the central core where all VRFs intersect. But to get to the transit, they have to pass through a firewall. So our design is is kind of like the old high to low is good to go and low to high, you must deny. Uh, I gotcha. Traffic is allowed to leave a tenant, meaning they're allowed to exit their VRF through their firewall context. So we have context, a context per tenant. And they're allowed to leave that zone into transit to either go north, I, can, I call it north, out through our, our DMZ out to the internet or south or east-west into another tenant for some reason. So some tenants, our security tenant, needs sometimes to go into other tenants east-west. So to come into a tenant, to enter a firewall, you need a permit. It's denied by default. So we allow everything to leave a zone into transit, but if it's coming into a zone, it needs to be implicitly permitted nice if they're denying it by default and you have to yes. allow it specifically so that's on the firewall side of things and then that that fusion router you also have to allow the routes to leak between the different vrfs yes at the fusion we then um we like inject our default route down from transit and things like that in certain zones that don't have like our security apparatus and when i say security apparatus i mean ip cameras on floors and video recorders and door swipes and things like that the network at the house, it's funny, when we talk about demand earlier, security had big demands. They wanted IP-based cameras. They wanted IP-based door swipes. They wanted IP-based wow. uh, recording systems where now we had to shore up our QoS model to guarantee that traffic. Yeah. So it was all intermingled and inter interlinked. But you didn't um, so have... Our network you, is, sorry, you didn't have that beforehand. It was no Nortel network. You didn't have QoS. No. You didn't have voice or video Nothing. traffic on the network, right? Um, and so, I mean, I want to make that clear. Like there's a lot of things that we've already talked about that you've already done right here. You, you've, you redesigned it into blocks, let's say into modular, modular blocks. It makes sense from a layer three perspective. Um, you've designed it so it can scale, right? So you had one building, now you're at 50 buildings and in your OSP architecture, your subnetting schemes can scale to that level. You're also doing VRF, um, within this environment. VRF architecture designs for the tenants, um, and that scales. I mean, this is scaling up to 450, 500 sites, right? You have 500 WAN sites? Yeah, so the WAN was another... Um, so we tackled the campus, and then we tackled the wide area network, which was, prior to us, was, was a leased system, which had all kinds of problems, right? 450. So why are there so many WAN sites? Let me address that from a business yeah. perspective. Members of Great so question. the members of parliament, yeah, each member of parliament has a geographic. They call it their riding, and these are their riding offices or their pre their their um, constituency offices, or okay. what we call them technically. So it's like your local senator or your local uh, member of Congress or whatever, right? They have a local footprint in your neighborhood or in your community. These are those offices gotcha. for the members of parliament all across the country, and. Every member is, is by law allowed to have up to three offices per geographic area oh. because some of our spaces, like if you go up way up north, a member of parliament covers, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kilometers or miles of geographic area up north. 
That makes so sense. They need three. Yeah. They need three offices to, to do their business, right? And, and be in these different communities. So we had to. Um, we wanted to bring your own ISP was was what we wanted to do, so that, that the members could go out and shop around for their ISP based on their local budget and their local community offerings. Pick the ISP of choice: copper, fiber, uh, DSL, whatever they could get. And then we would drop ship a bundle of hardware, um, which is a you know a head end firewall, and then the switching behind it. And it was all pre-labeled. We put nice stickers on what port, <laughs> yeah. what wire goes into, and made it as easy to assemble as possible. And um, and then we have the head end VPN um, back uh, on prem. So this is this was another massive. It's funny that when when we kind of proposed this to say we can give you on prem like access. They never had that before. That's huge. They had different portals and VPNs and different different clunky technologies. We could actually extend the precinct so that it was just like they're sitting on their office, their their hill. We call it the hill because that's there's a hill where Parliament is. Their hill office out in Saskatoon or Halifax yeah. or Regina or wherever they were sitting. They have full email, full intranet. They're authenticated. Do you know what I mean? Like like a they're, true it's, on. It's seamless experience. to them, right? It's it's really just seamless. It's like they're actually physically in on the hill, as you called it. Um, even no matter where yeah. they are, right? It's just seamless to them. And, yeah, and because of the technology, we have uh, we we have the ability to extend even wireless. So in their wow. in their in their constituency offices now they can use mobility and portability and laptops and and not be shackled by by physical wiring. Some of their offices might be in a strip mall somewhere, right? Like we don't know. It's truly the wild west. We have no authority or, or control over the on-prem solution that the the member has, right? They might lease a, a strip mall office space. Or they might have a, 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 I don't know, a home converted to an office. It could be anything. So we had to, you know, that was a massive win for the for for our, you know, for our technology and for our business was to offer them on-prem like experience. Just like on-prem, when we offered them wireless, um, they wanted to move up to what were called paperless committees. So if you can imagine before wireless, right, everything was paper and pen or, or saved to a local file and transferred around and like just a nightmare right yeah with with mobility and with wireless and tablets those things kind of converge the tablet boom and the wireless implementation here where now the the official parliament business is done on tablets and done on mobility and they've gone paperless paperless committees paperless onboarding they showed me actually we we did this kind of as a bit of a um, shock value demonstration here are the four binders of paper that a new member, when they got elected in, used to get. Here's all of your financial requirements. Here's your legal obligations. Here's the rules of the parliament, right? Like if you could imagine yeah. all the paper. It's like your beginning run book, but it, it happens to be four binders long. I got you. Right. Now we give them a tablet and that tablet has portals and links and click and everything they need is digital. Wow, and that we did that almost a, over. That's such a difference in, in experience, like overnight, oh. not overnight. But you know what I mean. Like that's just a difference in experience. The impact of that alone is huge. Yeah, it really is. Um, and you know, it it has real value to the members of Parliament. Like, like the acceleration and and just just how much I don't know. It's revolutionary stuff, right? Um, that's why I love I love being able to implement this technology. Yeah, you know, I'm not making big bonuses or you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it's not about there's no financial incentive other than a you know a good salary and a good pension and, and a great place to work. But when I walk through these heritage buildings and I see wireless access points and I see members using tablets and using their VoIP phone and that all of that was just a dream, you know, seven years ago, five years ago kind of thing, right? Yeah, I think that's extremely uh, an impactful overall situation, right? I mean, so you, maybe I'm wrong, John. So you just always just chime in and let me know, hey, Zig, you're wrong. That's perfectly fine. That's cool. <laughs> um, but I'm taking some leaps here on some of the things I'm saying because I'm just, I, I think this is how you are. Because like, I'm the type of person that if I'm working on something and I'm working for a, a business, uh, I have to agree with what I'm doing and I have to be vested in it. And it sounds like you're vested in it and you're pr really passionate in what you've done here. Um, with really, I think not just scalability because you, the network is scalable, right? From a technical right. perspective, it works and it's scalable, but it's, it's more than just the network itself being scalable. You've actually made the business flexible, 
Like the business is now becoming, and I say business, right? Again, this parliament network, they're not there to make money, right? That's not their goal. Um, They're providing that service. But the fact that they can be flexible and you're reducing the time they have to do certain things, like that whole like onboarding process. I mean, four binders, could you imagine how long that takes to go through four binders of requirements and and policies i mean that's not the fun stuff either i'm sure for them to go through like that's the stuff that they need to like eat some sort of snacks while they're going through at least that's that's me i'd be like m&ms or something right like every page so and you assume that they want to they want to start and make an impact they've been voted in by their you know what i mean people have voted for them and put them into power they want to start exercising that new power and and changing the laws or or putting forward bills they don't want to be Right, three months before they even know how the parliament works because they've had to slog through binders and training and blah blah blah. Now there's videos and portals and tablets that we give them. It's it's incredible. And the um, like I I you know we live in the West where the democracy and freedom and accessibility and all of these great things about our culture and and our society. You know I I have a small hand in in offering those services. Like I had mentioned the the multimedia. Um, moving, it's called Parlview, so Parliament View. People can now go to a website and stream their any of the pre-recorded. That's new. They didn't have wow. that. Our democracy wow. didn't have that just a few years ago, right? So is that multicast? Our new web, then are you doing multicast? We do doing multicast and broadcast. Yeah, yeah, we do wow. a lot of almost everything is digital. The the multimedia footprint. Now I help them with their networking, their switching, and routing. I'm not super deep into the protocols they're using, but some of the technology that they record and broadcast and simulcast and um, translate things because we have both languages. So we have English and French. Everything has to be translated. It's all done through digital feeds. Um, the network has become ever present, right? So every phone, every wireless access point, every device, it goes beyond <laughs> printers, right? Yeah, it goes it- beyond printers and workstations now. Our security apparatus. So it's funny the things you have to think about, right? If I need to take a building offline for some, some, let's say I can't do an ISSU upgrade on a stat on a pair of 4,500. Yep. Yep. Let's okay. say it's a major upgrade and I need to take the building down. Well, now I have to get Approval. possibly sure. <laughs> secure physical security guards to come on during that change window because all of the bubble cameras are going to be offline for a couple minutes while the switch reboots. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, yeah, yeah, there's there's impact considerations. Right? Yeah, yeah, real well, impact. Well, this goes even further, right? The network is now becoming a not just a requirement, but almost like a an unstated requirement. Like, if the network is not up, we can't function. Right. One of the it's, it sticks out in my mind when we moved to VoIP. Um, a very senior member um, who had a lot of apprehension about moving to voice over IP. He picked up a plain old telephone, a POTS phone. And he held it up and held the dial tone to my ear. He said, did you hear that? I said, yeah. He said, when have you ever picked up a, a landline and never heard a dial tone? Has that ever happened to you in your entire life? And I thought about it for a minute. And I thought, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've ever picked up a phone and it not have a dial tone. And he said, well, that's what we need out of the network, right? The network needs to be always giving a dial tone if you're putting all the phones on it. Can you maintain that level of availability? Like, Bell Canada can provide for plain old telephones. That's a lot of pressure, right? It is. How do it's you, huge how pressure. How do you keep it up, right? You're, you're talking so more than, than, than five nines there, right? You're talking all the time <laughs> right. up and, and right. having redundancy and, and resiliency and reliability. And because it goes more than, than just a simple, you know, five second failover. I mean, you can't have an outage really. It's, it's incredible. And um, when we talk about IOT, um, I mentioned this because it's one of my fun stories, one of the neat things I've got to do at the House of Commons. Um, the, the, the food production, so food production for all the meals and all of the banquets, and right, we have a very large food production, um, just like we have a very large IT shop. They have, the parliament has a food production plant. Um, the cook, the, the head chef, approached IT because he bought a smart stove Ooh. and needed to get it onto the network. And we were like, what? Like you just went out and bought one of these things. You didn't get any. No, no. He's got this whatever thirty thousand dollars stove, and he needs it on the wired network to get to the internet. So we worked with him, and we come up with an IoT policy. Right? He kind of forced our hand to be ready for IoT. We'd already done a little bit of IoT with the security cameras, apparatus, and things like that. So it wasn't brand new, but it was such a neat use case where he, on his tablet, 
He can set the, the temperature of his burners. He knows how long things have been in the oven. He knows when things are coming out. He can download recipes and smart install recipe timers and things like that to the stove. Like a full high-end integrated cloud-based stove, if you can imagine. It's like an automatic stove. Like you can just script it pretty much. And that's going to go to our next show. But I'm just saying, like, that's what it is. Like he got a stove that he can literally tell it what to do or script it and walk away and not even be there, right? Yeah, and he gets alerts to the phone and it's all over the and it's all over the network. That is crazy. So it's pretty neat that's the stuff crazy. that's coming. Yeah. I just amazed. I I mean, I don't know. It's been I've been doing this for twenty years, um, just about twenty years, and I, I'm still amazed at the transition from when I started to, to now. I mean, I remember twenty years ago when there wasn't a network when most places it was all like standalone pieces PCs, like uh yeah. compact this or HP that, and it was like, you know, this Honestly, they're a hunk of junks now, right? Like they were just these huge things that you had to go and physically install everything. I don't know if you remember any of that stuff, right? Like, oh yeah, I, you. So here's my personal connection to the past. If people want to know how far we've come, and this is real, this is a real story. In 2002, when I was kind of struggling as a college student trying to get my way into the into the into the industry, um, I took on a volunteer position at the Kingston Marine Museum. Now this is a very small little museum. That's about marine life in Kingston. So boats and ships and icebreakers and whatever. They had a coax network still in 2002. So I had, you know, <laughs> like like reflectors and absorbers and vampire teeth yep. and tap BNC connectors on the back of all their PCs. So they gave me a $45 budget to go to, over to Staples and buy an eight-port wireless switch. <laughs> and uh, and I gutted the you know I, I I bought a spool of Cat Five and a crimper and I made all my own cables for them, and I ripped out their coax and I replaced it with Cat Five and wireless. Now that's in 2002. Now you hear coax and you think the 70s, right? Like you think it was yeah a, yeah a, you know 50 years, 50 ago, years ago they were doing it, it. It wasn't that long ago that people just transitioned from coax to copper um, or Cat Five, I should say, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I I saw some FIDI networks. Like, I don't know if anyone remembers FIDI. Um, I mean, those were those are interesting networks too. Yeah. We don't have those really that much anymore. But I mean, it might have been two thousand, uh, two thousand four yeah. time frame when I uh, I saw my last FIDI FIDI network or frame relay even like if even IP based frame relay stuff. I mean, um, ah man, it's it's we're going back in history now, right? Like this is history historical stuff, but. It's such a huge transition from then to now. Um, and this wasn't scripted as always. It's just an idea off the top of my head. So, um, But John, well, I, I think what, what's really neat, I think, um, it, from that dumb era, like today with, with, and I'll just throw another technology, like we secured the network with 802.1x. I mentioned that as yes. one of the technologies. Um, we have a certificate-based thing here. It's like a passport system where if, if you plug a device into any port, we have you know 50 buildings worth. So you know, 60 or 70,000 interfaces. You plug a device into any one of those interfaces and you do not have a house-issued certificate, you get black hold. It, it does not let you on any network. You get shut down, more or less, and we get alarms. See, that's Every cool. device has to be certified. And we have this kind of software-defined network now, right? Yep. You plug something in, it's got to talk to ICE, and ICE has to say, yeah, you can come on the network, and here is the network you're allowed to come on to. So how we enforce those VRFs, because I think it was maybe a, a natural step that I missed when I kind of drifted off of the VRF discussion. How do you ensure that a laptop or a Surface or whatever gets plugged in ends up in the correct zone, right? Will we use certificates or worst case, maybe a MAC address for MAC address bypass? Yep. But really, we're, we're 99% of us are certs. So that security apparatus is very important in our design. And, um, and we just actually had an external review of our ICE and Cisco gave it, you know, five star review because nice. it's Congrats. it's it's as it's as important as the core to us. And people don't really think well, of ICE as that important. But without ICE to certify who can get where, um, you know, things break down pretty quickly and you're into fail open mode, right? Well, so I look at ICE, and I would say I would even bring it up to a higher level. I look at any na- network access control because that's what ICE is, right? Right. Yeah. Um, any network access control solution or capability. It's an infrastructure critical capability. If you're rolling it out and it's fully rolled out how it should be, I mean, it is a requirement to be up all the time. I mean, you're you're literally relying it to know what's on your network and authorize it 
um, authenticate it first, sorry, authenticate it first, then authorize it. And that authorization is going to dictate what you can access, right? And it's not right. what you want to access. It's only what you need to be accessing. And that's, and I want to be clear, it's not just user to user access or user to application right. or user to resource. It's also device to device access. So those, those IP cameras that we talked about, those security cameras, like what can they access? You can literally lock them down so they can only access what they should be accessing. And, you know, maybe they don't need to go to the internet, for example. That's something I'd probably say they don't need to go to the internet. So they don't get to go to the internet, you know, and, and they can go to the server or whatever, um, wherever that is. And that's it. Is yeah, that a good it, example? It's become part of the fabric of like DHCP DNS. Now NAC is up there because it's it's so key and it's so critical to our infrastructure. Um, it is. It really. I mean, but, it's an yeah. infrastructure component. DNS, DHCP, time, NTP. Um, yep. Even like if you're using some sort of authentication, uh, what I would say, single point of truth in an LDAP server of some sort. And you know, most people use Active Directory, but I, I just that's a vendor solution, right? So I always try to bring it back up. LDAP is that capability. So you're, if you're using some sort of LDAP server, that's critical, right? No one can log in if they don't have an, if LDAP's not working. This is the same thing for NAC now. NAC has to be highly available, up all the time. And you do need a failure situation if it's offline, right? Uh, if that's a fail open. But then if you're failing open, what's going to happen, right? If this, you know, right? You're allowing everyone on the network or, right. or you're not allowing everyone on the network if you're failing closed. Right? There's some implica implications there. Right. Yeah, it's 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 been a real challenge to uh, to to roll that out um, and to try to think of every permeation of um, of device and certificates and you know like we have and and you get the weird edge cases like we have the the Microsoft Surface hubs but yeah. to put a certificate to put a certificate on one of those hubs you need Intune and then you start going down the rabbit hole and you find that now I have four dependencies to get this one device on the network. Because <laughs> it needs a cert, <laughs> but to get a cert, I need a cert manager or an MDM of some kind, right? So yeah, it's it's not it's not as simple as it used to be, right? I don't oh, believe it's... networks. I think I think as the capability grows, it's not just about getting faster, right? It's it's getting more intelligent, it's getting more efficient, it's and really secure, right? We're going to move likely in our next iteration to more of a fabric DNA micro segmentation approach. Yep still using ice and secure group tags and different different mechanisms but that's likely the next iteration of our of our network is to move to the the sd access fabric type approach yeah and that's going to shift your environment to a different architecture all over again probably right uh, you know right. i mean you know um there's some uh, concepts within that that fabric approach that would sell that like uh uh the terms I use are software-defined LAN, so software-defined local area network, or software-defined campus, or campus fabric, or something along those lines, right, to be vendor agnostic. But, you know, and any of those solutions, I mean, it's, a, again, it, it changes that paradigm. Um, and I have these uh, demystifying the role series as well on this this podcast, demystifying you know, the network engineer, network designer, whatever role. Well, really, we're, we're also mystifying here the network again. The network is constantly shifting with all these new capabilities um it's actually pretty interesting how the shift has happened and and i, I kind of equate it to that paradigm shift that happened years ago where we went from um central kind of server environments where like mainframe where you have these mainframes they're huge and that's how you connect everything to the edge kind of push where everything went to the edge and then things kind of went back to the central side of things it's like this pendulum 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 yeah I can't talk can't say the right word but you know what i mean yeah, no, I, it's funny you say that. I've had the same. We're, we're on the exact same wavelength because I, I, uh, I, I used to teach for a little bit, and I tried to mention that to my students that, you know, today the flavor of the of the industry might be client server. Tomorrow it might swing back to mainframe. Like if you look at cloud, you know, the big mainframe in in the cloud, right? Like yes, central, exactly. Centralized, That's... central compute and storage in another space. Now, cloud might switch back to fog, and we <laughs> yep, the compute yep. to the edge, and it goes back to client server. So it's funny where, yeah, how it swings back and forth like that. Um, I also think the general trend of making classic CLI-based operations, I think more and more are becoming software or programmatically driven. So you can program that central controller in ACI or program the DNA or program your, your SD-WAN. I'm fortunate and you're fortunate being computer programmer by trade or by industry or by education, I should say, 
I feel lucky now, 20 years later, I feel like I'm coming home again because the, the shift is to programmatic approaches, be it with salt, chef, puppet, ansible, yep. uh, yep. Nornir, your own Python. Um, even these controllers, you can send API calls with your JSON body to a, an APIC controller or something, and then it pushes the config up to the fabric. I, I think I've, you know, it's, the industry's come full circle that it it's right back to my programming days. Yeah, and, uh, really and I get to use tools like Ansible and JSON and YAML. And um, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a, it, the capabilities that it, that are, are becoming a, available to network engineers are, uh, are going through a revolution right now. They, they really are. Um, and, and I think a good point to make, like, so my degree plan, right, obviously computer science, but I didn't learn Python. Like I didn't, this is, I learned like C and uh, yeah. Lisp and some older programming languages that some people still use. I did use, I did learn C++ and Java as well. Um, but like, I don't know Python. So I actually went to go look at the DevNet uh, Associates um, blueprint a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, I don't know Python. <laughs> I don't know it. I'm going to have to go learn it. I don't know it. I mean, I know programming, you're like, uh, but no you're like a brother from another mother because uh, I did, you know, C++ and Java and even the old COBOL kicks JCL stuff, but, uh, and visual basic, but I never touched Python either. So I'm, I'm ramping up. I'm learning a little bit. Um, one, one new Cisco tool that's free. That's gotten, gotten me excited about Python is called Pi ATS, mm-hmm. the Python automatic testing solution. That's free from Cisco. So basically how it works real quick, since I've thrown it out there, um, you can do a show command, like show IP interface brief. And there's a genie parser, also free from Cisco, that gives you JSON back from the command. And then the Pi ATS, you can write tests, Boolean pass fail tests against that JSON data. So something like OSPF neighbors, Pi ATS can automatically tell me if I've lost a neighbor based on the JSON it gets back. Wow. But that's a little bit of a, <laughs> a preview of our next discussion where I can get into, um, today was a lot of fun and I had a, I had a really good time discussing uh, NGPPN with you, but but the next discussion about automation is going to really blow people away. Yeah, I'm really excited about the next discussion because I mean, I'm kind of new to the whole, I mean, I've always done automation. Like I always try to automate everything I can, but I have not jumped into Ansible as much as I should in Python. So, uh, and real quick, I want to, I want to just articulate and summarize everything. Like we talked about a lot today. Like, honestly, this, this specific design use case that you have, John, I mean, we went in almost every single area that you could think of minus maybe full automation. And we talked about, and it's not service provider heavy, right? But like from an enterprise perspective, we talked about security and we talked about WAN, we talked about LAN, we talked about data center. Um, we talked about like VoIP and, and video. I mean, in multicast, like I, we talked about a whole bunch of things in the last like hour or however long it is. So this is truly an awesome use case. And, and I really appreciate your time going through it. Um, it sounds like it was a lot of fun for you to go through. Um, it sounds like it took about four years to go from beginning to end. I think it was 2013 to 2017, right? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, man, this is awesome. This is great stuff. Um, I appreciate it for sure. Um, now, now, just to kind of wrap up, you know, where can everyone find you? If they want to continue the conversation, um, they like what they're hearing, they want to ask you some questions, uh, where can they find you on the interwebs? One more time. Yeah, so one more time. You can find me. T- I'm very responsive on Twitter. I love Twitter. If you've got a meme for me, I'd love you to share it with <laughs> me. So it's John underscore Capobianco, my last name, on uh, Twitter. Easy to find. Uh, I also just launched automateyournetwork.ca, all one word. Uh, as a hub for blogs and my ideas and my posts. So uh, I have a couple posts on there about my toolkit that I use and where you get started with automation. So you might want to check out the webpage. And uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, and I'd be happy to connect with you professionally on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Zig, I had a really good time today, man. Thanks for inviting me. And I hope, um, so anybody who maybe, you know, if if you follow your certification path and if you do your training and your homework and work real hard, you can build a network at the scale that I've, that I've built and, and, and have success with it. So I don't want anyone to be intimidated and, and, and say, holy cow, like what have I gotten myself into if I want to be a network engineer? But but those, Zig made a good point. Wireless, security, voice, multicast, video, um, Internet of Things, NAC, DNS, DHCP, like all of these amazing things. It's a big jigsaw puzzle and you get to piece it together. And at the other end, 
you have users that are consuming those services and you could change the world, right? Yeah, seriously. I mean, it's a true enterprise. We talked about it's a true enterprise architect here. This is a true enterprise network end to end. And that that's really what I want to emphasize here. Um, and the last thing, John, like I, I think you've recently wrote a book, right? Yeah. So I wrote a book uh, called Automate Your Network, uh, introducing the modern approach to enterprise network management. I know it's a mouthful, but uh, <laughs> I self-published it on Amazon in March of 2019. There's an ebook and a paperback. And uh, if you do pick up the book, again, reach out to me on Twitter if you have any questions or comments. I'm always open to help. Um, next discussion I have with Zig, we're going to really explore network automation and my approach to it and where I started and where I've kind of found myself today and what I've learned. I really like to help people become network automation engineers because it, it, it really is going to change your life and make things a lot easier. All this stuff I've talked about, it's hard. It's complicated stuff. And if you can make it easier, which you can through automation, they should rename automation simplification <laughs> because that's network simplification is really what it is all about. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk to Zig again. And uh, thanks for having me today. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of wrap up the show, bud. Thanks, John. Again, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Um, real quick, just to let everyone know, I'm actually going to go ahead and give away one of John's books. Um, if you want to be a part of that giveaway process, you go to zigbits.tech slash automate your network. All one word or no spaces, no dashes, zigbits.tech slash automate your network. Sign up there for that giveaway and you'll get more information on it. The plan is to give it away in February sometime after our second episode. Um, just, you know, sign up if you want it. If you don't want it, no worries. Um, all of John's links and, and comments that he's given will be in the show notes. Uh, today's show notes will be zigbits.tech slash 75. Again, that's 75. Uh, I appreciate you. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email me at zig at zigbits.tech. You can also find us on the socials. That's uh, zig underscore ziga on Twitter or just zigziga somewhere else. That's Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or you can find Zigbits as well on all three of those. And until next time, bye for now.